You're listening to episode number 17 of Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. Today, our conversation is focused on patient and clinician satisfaction. We are fortunate to have a special guest, Ann Chamberlain, join us in the studio. Ann shares her healthcare journey with us and helps us to shine a light on the patient-clinician satisfaction polarity from a patient perspective. She has a lot to share. Trust us, you won't want to miss this one. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We're so grateful you've joined us today. I'm Tracy. And I'm Michelle. We've been interprofessional partners in healthcare for over 30 years. During that time, we've been engaged in healthcare transformation and the development of healthy healing work cultures that result in the best places to give and receive care. We've engaged with healthcare leaders from across North America, and we are tired of seeing time, money, and resources wasted on change efforts that are not sustainable. In this podcast, we explore significant, reoccurring, and competing challenges faced by all healthcare leaders today using a brand new lens called polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare. You could say we represent the money ball of healthcare. We're here to expand your current thinking and challenge your reliance on problem-solving tactics. This is Tracy and Michelle. Wow, what an afternoon we had with Ann Chamberlain in our podcast studio interviewing her. An incredible journey and such an inspirational person. Yeah, she really is. And today, you know, we're focused on uh, the patient uh, satisfaction, clinician satisfaction polarity. And uh, we we spoke with Ann because she's been a patient, right? She's ex- had some significant experiences in healthcare. And uh, we really wanted to bring forth the patient's perspective around, you know, the healthcare experience and being satisfied and what that looks like, what that means and, uh, you know, how they engage in the whole experience exactly, you know. And I think the other thing here, too, is, um, you know, we there's both sides. <laughs> right, right. Right. There's a clinician perspective and there's a patient perspective. And Anne just, she's just a lovely person and did a really, really nice job sharing her experiences and her pers- you know, her perspective and yeah. perceptions. Very articulate. She very is articulate. very articulate. You are all going to love this interview, but let us tell you a little bit about Anne and who she is. Anne Chamberlain was born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And she graduated from East Grand Rapids High School, and she earned a bachelor's degree in English from Kenyon College. Then post-college, Anne moved to New York City, and she loved those days. I love hearing her stories about New York City. And there she was um, active with the Achilles Track Club, a club for disabled runners. And she completed the New York City Marathon with the paraplegic athlete that she mentored. So she loves mentoring other people. And then after living in New York City for a while, Anne moved back to Grand Rapids, and she had four beautiful daughters, and they are all gorgeous model material, and they became the (laughs) president of the Junior Mary Freebed Guild for many years. She also served as a board member for the Grand Rapids Wheelchair Sports Association, so you can see her passion for being a runner and athletics kind of bleed through everything she does as far as volunteering, and she helped move that Wheelchair Sports Association to become part of Mary Freebed. Wow. Yeah, that's very impressive. Everything she's done, obviously, very passionate, very active life, right? Really likes to be uh, physically active. Um, But more recently, 
and has battled um, twice stage four cancer and has, uh, you know, as a survivor of that experience, uh, obviously. And she's um, really eagerly helping other cancer patients. She's She really wants to be a mentor to others. And she's helped, um, you know, develop an oncology rehab program at Mary Free Bed Hospital as a result of her experiences. So she's very much about, you know, she's a very deep thinker. She really embraced her experience, I think, and the meaning behind it and what what she can share with others to help them along their journey. So she's very passionate about, you know, being an example to others who are, are facing the same kind of healthcare challenges, situations that she faced being thrust into, you know, the healthcare environment. Um, and then her, really her goal is to help them really have hope um, to find the hidden blessings in the situations that they face and to help them, you know, face the fears. Right. Um, not they, take anything too seriously. I no. love her humor. <laughs> yeah. She's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. So it was just a pleasure to, uh, you know, to speak with Anne. And uh, so without further ado, let's go on to our conversation with Anne Chamberlain. We are so excited to have Anne Chamberlain with us today. Hello, Anne. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. I'm glad to be here today. We are also excited that we are doing a first. You are the first guest that has been in our studio for the interview. So we think that's pretty cool. It's very cool. You guys are really high tech. (laughs) (laughs) We're really glad to have you here today, Anne. (laughs) Yeah. So to start out, for our listeners to know Anne Chamberlain, how would you describe yourself in three words, Anne? I would say I'm probably the most curious person you've ever met. I'm very strong-minded, and I'm very loving. I think that describes you to a T. I've had the benefit of knowing Anne for many years, and I'd say spot on. (laughs) (laughs) Good. The other thing is that I also want the listeners to know that you're big on goal setting. And as you've known us for a long time, we're big on goal setting. Otherwise, we would be sitting here right now. That's right. Right. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about some of the big goals you've set for yourself in the last few years and what you've accomplished from being a goal-oriented person that you are. I think um, the way that I got through my illness was to set goals um, and to think about tomorrow um, as a way to get through today. And when I was ill the second time, I was um, very, very sad, very um, put out by it. And so I set a goal of going to Mount Everest after I got through my uh, second cancer, and that pretty much kept me going and gave me a tomorrow to work on today. Yeah, she did it. It was so awesome. You know, my so goals amazing. seem so small. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Anne. Now i got to retire. Yeah. <laughs> I don't uh, think Everest is going to be it, though. Well, and you know, um, that is a it was a pretty lofty goal, but I had always um, been so interested in Mount Everest, and I've read about all the climbers, and um, I thought, if I can get well, um, I'm going to go to the base camp of Mount Everest, and um, I did it, and that was very satisfying and um, an incredible journey. Wow. I, I just can't even imagine. And, I, you know, I think it just speaks to, to you know, no, no goal is too lofty, really, 
And it's about who you kind of become in the process, right? It is. And what was so interesting is when I um, arrived at the base camp, I thought I would be, you know, hooting and hollering and take my picture here, jumping up and down. Well, first of all, I was so tired I couldn't do any of those. But second of all, I just wanted to turn around and go back. And it, I couldn't figure out why I wasn't so so celebratory. Yeah. And I, I, I thought about it a long time, and it really wasn't just getting to base camp. It was the whole journey. It was the physical, the emotional, the spiritual journey that actually got me there. And so um, I thought that was really interesting. And I think when you set goals, yes, the, it is to reach that goal, but the whole journey counts. That's, um, and you may find out that the journey is more important than the actual goal once you achieve it. Yeah. Wow. Such wisdom. It's very insightful. It yes. is. Yes. It is. And so we're really just um, grateful today that you're here to share uh, the patient experience and what that kind of looks like and feels like from an individual perspective. We know everybody's experiences are different and different things satisfy patients in different ways. But we're really just grateful to have your perspective here today uh, as we kind of talk about the patient experience staff experience, you know, we know that that's a polarity. The satisfaction of both is a polarity. We have to have both. Um, and today we're really focusing on patient experience or your satisfaction. And so it will help our listeners to know a little bit about your story. So if you could share a little bit about your health journey over the past couple of years, um, that would be really helpful for people. Um, well, let me start out by saying that I've always been a very healthy person. Um, I've always been a runner. I do 5Ks, 10Ks, 25Ks. I played college tennis. Um, I've never really been sick. Um, I was married six years ago and packing for our honeymoon. Um, long story short, discovered I had a stage four blood cancer that had spread pretty much from my skull to my femur to my um abdomen and, and, and everywhere in between. So that to me was a real um, surprise. I'd never been sick before. So uh, it was a stage four blood cancer and the treatment was very grueling. Um, my chemo was in the hospital and um, it lasted about seven months. And long story short, um, once I conquered that, um, shortly thereafter, I had found out I had a second cancer, not related to the first cancer, uh, a stage three squamous cell carcinoma, which is um, uh, a cancer of the neck and the throat. And my primary tumors were my tonsils, and it had starts, started to spread down my neck. So um, that was a, a big challenge as well. We had a feeding tube. Um, radiation and chemotherapy again. So all in all, um, it was uh, a long journey. It was um, an interesting journey. It was a tearful journey. Um, but I'm here today. So um, it was it was worth it. So that's that's my health in a nutshell. There's a lot of li little uh, alleys we could go down, <laughs> but for the most part, that gives you a, a good idea of what my body has gone through. Oh wow, yeah, that's incredible. And we're 
just so grateful you're here today, right, to chat with us and share your experience with us. So when you think about your journey, uh, your healthcare journey over the course of those, you know, few years, and you think about the experience of it and, um, you know, what happened, what was it that really contributed to you either having a good experience or a poor experience when you think about your engagement with the healthcare system and healthcare clinicians? I think for the most part, I had a good experience, but I think it it takes two to tango. It takes the patient, which would be me, um, and I chose to be educated, interested, and curious about my illness, which I think was helpful to my caregivers because I was interested and I did ask questions. I think I drove them crazy sometimes, <laughs> but I think... Um, that made them, um, it, we had a, a really good relationship because I was interested in what they were trying to achieve. And I think that as a patient, um, it, it will only do you um, well to be more informed with your illness and your caregivers, I think, really um, would appreciate that. And I think they respect that a lot. Mm-hmm. What mattered most to you during that time as far as, you know, the kind of experience you wanted to have and what was being provided for you? What really mattered to you? I was very upfront with my um, my physicians that I, I wanted the truth. I wanted honesty. I wanted clarity. Um, because then I could, um, of course, set a goal, have a roadmap <laughs> to get to that goal. But if I didn't know the real ins and outs of what I was battling, I felt like my goal um, could not be set. So for me, it was honesty, clarity, and patience, because sometimes the caregivers um, expect all of us to know the jargon and the and the ins and outs of their profession, and we don't. And so I said, please slow down, explain this. And yes, they, they would get frustrated at some times because they, you know, they've got a lot of patience, but... Um, I think clarity um, is really important um, so we know that we're all on the same page in our in our goal to get better. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, you know, you're making some pretty significant decisions. Yeah. Right. At, at that juncture in time, I'm sure around a number of different treatments mm-hmm. and different approaches and what your options are. And if you don't know, if you're not clear on what that is, it's really hard to make. Correct. Kind of yeah. an informed decision, right? Right. And it is your body. Um, it's it's your body, and you should really know what what it's doing and what you can do for it. And um, you need to really advocate for your physical self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so we know that your curiosity really helped you ask great questions of your clinicians that were caring for you um, to help you make really good decisions and then you just mentioned the word advocacy, so you can advocate for yourself. And a part of it is just sharing what's on your mind, what's in your heart. And Ian, one of the things I remember is um, you start, you and your husband, Lou, started the Caring Bridge as a platform so that while you were going through your healing experience, it's because you, you recognize it's not about you, it's the community around you that loves you and you garnered people's support. And so you started writing. And I have to tell you, it was just amazing to my husband and I. Fabulous writing. And I am curious, too, from a 
patient journey and for healing and for your own satisfaction, you know, what was that like for you? Well, I think um, the Caring Bridge is a way for patients and their families to inform their friends and loved ones um, about the patient, how the patient's doing. And, and many times it's, it's very clinical. It's, it's, you know, she was in surgery, she's out of surgery, she's doing well, she's got a fever. And that's how it started out. And um, it morphed into a journal for me, actually. Um, it was a way, I, I didn't even know that this was happening. Um, but when I started writing, it was very therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're ill, you need to find something for you, whether it be writing, and that happened to be what I um, use, but maybe it's painting, maybe it's reading, maybe it's um, yoga, maybe it's meditating. Um, but it's a way to, um, for me, it was a way to really put down my fears, my emotions. And we all know that, hey, write it down. And that's what they all say, write it down, get it out, write it down. Well, it, it worked for me. But um, I think all patients need to find an outlet um, to let their feelings and their emotions flow while mm-hmm. they're going through an illness. Mm-hmm. Well, I can certainly tell you it helped everyone around you that loves <laughs> you. We, we would like it, it went from like, oh, no, what's the post going to say to <laughs> What did she say today? <laughs> well, I think also as I was writing, um, I, I, I never, maybe once I was woe is me. But as I was writing, you know, I realized there are people on my floor in this hospital that are so much sicker than I, even though I was very sick. And so, you know, why, why not me? Everyone says, why me? Well, why not me? And for, for me to write it, that cemented that feeling and that outlook for me, which I thought was um, very therapeutic and getting better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That gratitude, bringing that gratitude exactly. into it as well. Yeah. 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 Wow. So another thing that we wanted, we were kind of curious about too is, um, you know, you had mentioned earlier that you were interested, right? And you were um, curious and you wanted the truth. But when it came to being engaged, you know, in your care, what did you expect uh, from the healthcare clinicians, from the system, you know, so that you could be, you know, engaged and leverage that curiosity and the desire to learn and to know? Did you have any expectations? I don't think I did going in, but as I spent more time at the hospital and um, interacted with, you know, lots of um, clinicians and, and, and hospital people coming and going, then I did develop an expectation because I had some caregivers that were fabulous and they were clear with me, they talked to me, they told me what was going on, and then there were others that didn't. And I didn't know I had those expectations until I had a clinician that was just top of the draw, you know, treated me with care, with love, with professionalism. Um, And then those that didn't, um, that did develop my... Awareness. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and my expectations and so forth. Yeah, because you hadn't been sick before. I'd never been in the hospital. Yeah, so you really didn't have any kind of experience to draw from. It was all new. It was all new. It was all new. Yeah, and and that's so true for, you know, for many people, right? They they get thrown in. You're thrust in, 
to this environment that you know nothing about, really. Right. right? You've never really engaged with before. So I can see how that would be true. Um, were there times where you really felt just disengaged from the whole experience, like disengaged from the people that were caring for you? or I think in my situation, because I spent so much time at the hospital, I did have a lot of caregivers coming and going, you know, the different shifts, the different days, the different um, doctors for different needs that I had. And at one very low point, I think I disengaged on purpose. And um, that was probably my woe is me moment. Mm -hmm. And um, I was sick and I was in the bathroom and uh, a clinician or a nurse came in and heard me and knew I was sick and said, I'll let you be. I'll be back when you're finished. And that's when I sort of broke because I thought, don't leave me alone. Your job is to help me. And I think that's when I disengaged for a short time and um, my my expectations were not met. Um, so I sort of checked out for a while. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's just, you know, to me, what comes up for me is assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we make assumptions in situations like that as clinicians that people would prefer to be alone or that's, you know. That's a good point. I didn't, and it's I not never thought of it that way. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. it's not necessarily that we wouldn't want to help, but we're making an assumption and we act on that. Right. right. And then, right. but it can, it can be detrimental right. to individuals. So to me, it's again, back to, you know, dialogue and inquiry and relationship and to say, you know, I see you're having a hard time. Do you need me? Right. Or do you not need me? Right. And every kind of patient a, has different. Sure. Well, yeah. Um, somebody else might be like, just go right. away. That's happening. <laughs> exactly. What, so the boundaries for each patient right. are different. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. so true. Yeah. And so really knowing. Right. Knowing the story, knowing the preferences, right. you know, really can make a big difference when mm-hmm. it comes to your experience of care and your satisfaction. Right. And, you and know. that's where communication, I think, is so important between the patient and the caregivers. Um, right, at the, right at the start. Um, so you could do your job um, the way you're most comfortable with while meeting the patient's needs as well. Yeah, and what we've learned is... Um, sometimes clinicians can perceive that takes a long time, but really, in our experience, it really doesn't take a long time. Like if I'm coming on to a shift I've never met you before, in just a few minutes, we can make that connection. This is exactly. what's your goal for the next 12 hours, next eight hours, exactly, and get that instant rapport right. so that we can then be on the same page and work together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What do I need to know? Yeah, right. what do I need to know? What do I need to know about you right now today that's yeah. going to help me care for you? Right. And yeah. if the patient isn't communicative and doesn't have a goal, maybe it would um, be a good idea for the caregiver to help set those goals with that patient. Sure, sure. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and when you know the patient, right, it's easier to do that. Exactly. Right? It's yeah. easier to find... It doesn't have to be a huge lofty goal, right? No, it not can at just all. be something right. that, you know, they're like, well, yeah, that would make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's just getting your hair washed exactly. or right, whatever, yeah. right? Taking a shower or, you know, and just in conversation, you can uncover those little things. And I, I've always had the belief that 
it's not, it doesn't matter how many tests you run or right. How many lab reports or it, what matters are the little things that we do. Oh yeah. That's always kind of been my assumption, right? Right. And I think, your, I think your assumption is true. <laughs> that make the biggest difference. It does. Right? And they don't necessarily take a long mm-hmm. time. So, Anne, one of the things that's happening in our, across the nation is there's been pretty heavy focus and um, reimbursement efforts on hospitals to have good patient satisfaction. So there's been a big emphasis on that, and um, sometimes it's been to the neglect in that culture of, but how do we keep our clinicians who are providing the care satisfied and happy? And just, again, from that patient experience, what did you notice as far as clinicians being satisfied or like what were some of the observations you made about their happiness factor if you will (laughs) well you know it's interesting because I think if you are happy in your job um, as a clinician your patients will definitely feel it Mm -hmm. and I think the um, it comes from the top It, it comes from the floor supervisor it comes from listening it you could tell which um, clinicians were not heard. You could tell when they were tired. And I think they're all overworked. And I think that probably is the number one factor for for dissatisfaction from the caregivers is, you know, there's too much work and too little time. And, um, and then you know, then the patient's not served either. So mm-hmm. I think, I think it's a time management thing. I really do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, no, I was, I was going to say it's a really such an important space for us to pay attention to right now. And it goes back to that culture, right? Um, and because we do know that if the clinicians are happier, more satisfied, have the resources that they need, the things that they need, then it makes a difference on how I show up to care for patients. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I could tell when a floor was stressed. I could tell when there weren't enough clinicians on the floor. I could tell that the nurses were um, overworked and um, it, it resulted in transcending to the patients as well. I mean, you could feel the tension. You could feel... Um, the dissatisfaction and the um, the stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how did that make you feel? Yeah. Well, it made me feel a little guilty when I needed something, you know, because I just, I, I felt badly having to ask for help to the bathroom when I knew that somebody else down the hall probably had a more needy uh, situation. But so it, it didn't feel very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think the thing, the struggle for the clinician is, you know, they're all there because they want to do good for others, right? Right. They want to help other people. And so when things interfere or get in the way, become difficult, it's a distress for them as well, right? Exactly. They can't can't provide their patients Mm -hmm. with what they feel would be the best um, because they're stretched. Mm -hmm. There's not enough resources or whatever the situation is. So Mm -hmm. then everybody ends up not feeling good about the situation. They're stressed out, you're stressed out. Right. And it just, you can, like you said, sometimes that's palpable uh, Mm -hmm. in a, in a unit or on a unit. Well, now they all carry, um, telephones with them. And I, you know, so clearly remember, a nurse, you know, either doing my blood pressure or something and her phone would ring and she'd pick it up while she was tending to me. And I kindly asked her, you know, 
can you just pick that up? And she wasn't supposed to pick it up in the room with me, but she was stressed. She had too many things to do. And, um, you know, that, there's our technology again that's coming into play here. Mm-hmm. And um, I, some of them liked the phones and some of them did not. Mm-hmm. And I, for one, did not, but I was the patient. So yeah. interesting how technology once again, you know, uh, comes into play. Well, it can be beneficial, and then it yeah. can interfere, right? Yeah. So it's both and. Exactly. You know, yeah. We have some podcasts on that, too. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should interview you oh. again. No, <laughs> I don't think you'd like what I had to say. <laughs> Bring the truth. Bring yeah. the truth. Right. Well, and those are really great examples of, you know, your experiences in the acute care, the hospital, because you were there for so long. Um, and we also know that, you're you're still under care, right? That's not going to go away. Um, I am. I, I see. Um, I see my oncologist, uh, my main oncologist, from um, every four to five months. I see my neck and throat surgeon, ENT, um, every six to eight weeks, and he will he goes up my nose with a scope, then down my throat and looks around. I have a heart doctor now. Um, I have heart problems from one of the chemo's chemo drugs I had. So I have a, a cardiologist. And um, so, so yeah, I'm still under care. And I have a, a physician who I adore. And he's sort of um, the hub of it all. And um, he keeps tabs on, on all the, all the other parts of my health care. Well, that's great. Because a big piece of it is coordination, right? So if you can have some coordinating effort, that makes a big difference. It does. And I think um, the one thing I come up against time and time again, and I know, Michelle, that you'll get this, is still when I go to one of my doctors and they read off a list of my medications, it's, it, it, it's, it's wrong. And it, they, they don't, the, the systems don't talk to each other. The ENT system does not talk to the cardiology system, it does not talk to the oncology system, does not talk to the uh, you know, the radiologist. And so every single time I go see one of my doctors, which is fairly often, we go over a list of my medications, then it's never right. And um, if just if they could just all talk to each other, it would yeah. make my life so simple. Yeah. It's like, I took that, I haven't had that drug in three years while it's on the list. Well, I took it off the list. But <laughs> he said, you didn't take it off the list in our office. So... You know, yeah. that's that's yeah. been the hardest part. Can you say interoperability? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an yeah. ongoing. I think about you a lot, Michelle. Communication, coordination. Yes. yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then um, so awesome physicians that are coordinating your care. What about other professions that are involved? Um, therapists, nutritionists, any other type of roles that are um, really important to you? Yeah, my doctor, my um, my main physician is so wonderful, and he has a nutritionist on staff, and um, <clears throat> which is very helpful. Um, all the chemotherapy I've had has really um, been hard on my bones, so I have very bad osteoporosis. Um, I've also lost my hearing, and you ladies probably didn't notice, but I have two hearing aids in now. Oh wow! And so you can't I have. See it. I know. So. Um, so my hearing is monitored, and um, so nutrition is, is a big thing, and um, my main doctor makes sure that I'm exercising and, and so forth. 
That's right. great. Yeah. Well, you know, we know that you're really grateful and, um, you know, for just, you know, the experience, the growth, your journey, as you said in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? It's all been about the journey. It's the journey. Yeah. And, and we also know that you're somebody who feels that gratitude in a way wants to give back. So can you share with our listeners before we close just some different ways that you're kind of giving back and helping others? Um, You know, I feel like every day I need to give back. And um, I've discovered that, um, and I'm sure you all all have heard this, that um, cancer is devastating, but it's been a gift as well. And if, if all of us could think about our mortality and, and, be comfortable with it. You will live each day so differently. And that's what I'm really trying to teach people. I've talked to um, children um, at, at schools. I've talked to some women in some women's groups and um, tried to impart to them that, um, you know, every single day, whether it's raining or snowing or there's, there's something good about today and you might have to find it. It might be hidden. Um, Call the woman who checks out the groceries by her name, her first name. She has a name tag on. And call her her name and look at her face. Um, you know, little things like that. So, but I think more importantly, um, I'm, I'm just trying to help everyone find that little hidden blessing in every day, whether it's through speaking to children at schools or, or adult education groups. Wonderful. That's and awesome. then you also have done some things with um, Mary Freebed. Is that correct? Yes, I love stuff? Mary Freebed. <laughs> um, I, being a, a runner, I don't run anymore, but I, I started volunteering um, with wheelchair sports. And um, when I got sick the second time, uh, I did go to um, Mary Freebed because I did see a speech pathologist um, before I had the radiation to my neck and throat because my speaking and swallowing would become affected. Um, so Mary Freebed is is such a wonderful organization, and I do a lot of volunteer work with their athletes. And um, I've helped Dr. Chris Vandenberg sort of put together an oncology rehabilitation um, department with just imparting some of my experiences and um I continue to go to the Mary Freebed Y and, and exercise there and um, encourage um, people with disabilities to never give up. Yeah. Wow. So that's inspiring. awesome. I know it is. It's great. So as we close, and do you have any parting thoughts that you would want to share? Any pearls of wisdom? You want to share? Hair is overrated. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Did you hear that, Michelle? (laughs) I did. You know, um, I I used to have um, shoulder length hair. And um, when I lost my hair the first time, I went and got a wig and I came home with it on. And my kids just were hysterically laughing and said, Mom, take that off. You don't need a wig. So I became very comfortable having no hair. Um, then it grew back and then I got sick again and it fell out. And I've just decided that women spend too much time and money on their hair. So, you know, that's, you know, seriously, it's what's underneath it and it's what's inside. Um, but truly that, um, I think what I'd like to say is that take care of your body, 
take care of your vessel. Um, I was in good shape before I got sick. If I hadn't been, I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, watch what you eat, exercise, be kind to your vessel because that's the only one you have. And none of us, I can say this for a fact, none of us have any idea um, what we may be headed toward health-wise. So um, respect and take care of your vessel. Mm -hmm. That's a great closing message for all of our listeners. It sure is. And us and really everyone, Anne. So <laughs> mm -hmm. you're such an inspiration. Oh. And having been with you on this journey, and it's just been amazing to be an observer and your transformation and just so grateful for you. Oh. Well, you know what? I'm grateful for this moment. I'm, I'm grateful for the friendships I have, the new friendships I'm making, and I hope everybody can find a hidden blessing in every day. Yeah. Well, that's such a, that's a great way to live, right? Like I, I know um, my coach that I'm involved with, he, he always says, you know, you want to get up every day thinking today's a good day to die because I've lived, right? You've been living your life. Right. So any day is a good day right. to go well, because there are no regrets, exactly. nothing that I have to, you know. Right. And I think too many people are worrying about tomorrow and mm, they exactly. then forget about the joy of today and mm -hmm. next year when I do this when I'm older I'll do this when yeah. I have more money I'll buy this I can't wait until three months from now well what about right now yeah yeah live it today exactly that's right that's right can't think of a better way to end thanks so much for being here with thanks, us and sharing your story I'm so glad to be here thank you Anne bye-bye yeah. bye-bye For tuning in today. If you found our conversation insightful or helpful, please share this episode with others you think might benefit. Also, go out to iTunes and rate the show and share a review because we really like those positive ones. Wink, wink. You can access today's show notes and downloads at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you want to learn more about polarities in healthcare or how you might manage them in your organization, you can contact us for a free consultation. Just go to our website at www.missinglogic.com.